0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
1: Welcome to the Gloria Purvis podcast, where we talk about issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me. And I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is the Archbishop of San Francisco, Salvatore Cordiglione. The Archbishop has just released a statement restricting the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, from receiving the sacrament of the Eucharist until she repudiates her public support of abortion and goes to the sacrament of reconciliation. Speaker Pelosi is a Catholic who represents the Congressional District of San Francisco And this is where the restriction is limited. It's limited to his Archdiocese of San Francisco. In a statement, the Archbishop laments that Speaker Pelosi's position on abortion has become more extreme over the years. He said that he's made numerous attempts to speak with her to help her understand this grave evil, but all that was to no avail. He states I have determined that the point has come in which I must make a public declaration that she is not to be admitted to Holy Communion, unless and until she publicly repudiates her support for abortion rights and confesses and receives absolution for her cooperation in this evil in the sacrament of penance. And he has accordingly sent her a notification to this effect, which he has now made public. I'm going to speak to Archbishop cordeleone about his decision, how it came to be, and what consequences it will have on an already polarized political climate in the country and in the Catholic Church. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media, where real, honest conversations are happening on the most important issues at the intersection of the church and the world. And that's unique. You may not agree with everything we publish or even everything we talk about on this podcast. And that's okay. That's healthy. We need to listen to each other and be open to different ideas and perspectives. So if this podcast is meaningful to you, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app and never miss an episode. You can also support it by getting a digital subscription to America. How do you do that? Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe and sign up today. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione is up next. Archbishop Cordelioni, thank you so much for coming back to the Gloria Purvis podcast.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
1: So, you know, the question it, with all that's going on right now with uh, Dobbs v. Jackson, with the leaked opinion that Roe perhaps could be overturned, why now? Why make this decision now?
0: Uh, the The leaked decision and the Dobbs case really have nothing to do with it. Uh, the timing of it. Uh, As you mentioned, I've been um, trying for quite some time to I she did meet with me, speak with me in the over the years, um, a couple of times. But more recently, uh, with her advocacy for uh, codifying uh, the Roe decision in federal law, it's becoming more and more extreme, more and more aggressive. And I've, I've been trying to speak with her about this. Um, So I've been uh I've been debating this within my own conscience for many years, actually. So well, this is not something that's just come up recently. I've been uh I've been discerning this. I've consulted with people whom I respect for their intelligence, their integrity and their pastoral sensitivity, who would have different sort of perspectives on the situation to get their thinking on it. Uh, I've done a lot of prayer and fasting. So I've I've been uh, struggling with this for a long time.
1: Can you talk a little bit more about the process for informing your conscience and making this decision?
0: Yes. Uh, First of all, one has to um, be clear about what is right and what is wrong. Okay. So let's be clear about this, that the point of our conscience is not to decide what's right and wrong. Uh, Forming our conscience is a process of helping us to figure out what in principle, what is right and what is wrong. The role of conscience is to help us make the right decision in a specific situation based on what is right and wrong. Uh, So informing our our conscience, uh, again, it's these three principles, the need to uh, address the injustice, to repair scandal, and to uh, move the person down the path of conversion because of the spiritual harm it causes themselves. Uh, So in this sense, I was also following the advice that, well, Pope Benedict, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger in charge of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, sent a letter to uh, bishops here in the United States back in 2004, when he gave us uh, advice on how to approach this, specifically with uh, politicians, Catholic politicians, and specifically on the two issues of abortion and euthanasia. And, and he said, we need to meet dialogue to try to move them down the path of conversion. And if after, um, Several attempts. It uh, comes to the point where it's clear this is not going to happen. Then the bishop or the pastor he says is to declare that the person is not to be admitted to Holy Communion. So I'm I'm guided by the principles articulated by Pope Francis and taking the approach of the advice that then Cardinal Ratzinger gave us.
1: So you've reached out to her office privately, and you're pretty confident she's received the the messages you've sent her privately. Uh, is there a pastoral reason? To make this public, to make the announcement.
0: If she's not to be admitted to Holy Communion, then our priests and the extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, all those who are communion ministers, need to know that.
1: Is this in some way also to repair for the scandal? Yes. The public witness that she's given on this. How do yes. you? How does that work in this in this case?
0: Scandal is um, a, an action uh, that. Um, would it lead others into error or or into sin. So the scandal here is again, as I was referring to earlier, that uh, someone who's strongly advocating for um, something as evil as abortion and taking communion creates confusion among people and they can begin to think that it's acceptable for a Catholic to believe this. And uh, sometimes people ask me about that. One news reporter uh, in a secular media, not a Catholic media, asked me if it was, is it acceptable for a Catholic to be uh, in favor of the so-called right to abortion? So it wasn't clear in his mind, but it should be clear in everyone's mind. So that's how it leads people into uh, a mistaken idea that this is acceptable and then can actually lead them into doing the evil or, or, or condoning it.
1: And just for our listeners and our viewers, and we're talking about abortion, we are not talking about when the child has already died in the womb and the mother has to undergo a and c to remove the remains of her unborn child who's already died. You're talking about the direct, uh, intentional, ceasing, taking, killing of the child in the womb. Um, and that's what you're talking about when you're talking about abortion, something that's an elective process.
0: Yes, yes. And that's what sets this issue. There, there are many really very critical issues we're facing today. But the difference with abortion, it is, involves the direct taking of an innocent human life. And as much injustice as there is uh, and, and uh, challenges we're facing, uh, I don't see le- any legislators advocating the direct taking of innocent human life on any other issue. Uh, so that's what really sets the gravity of this apart
1: from any other issue, like things like uh, the death penalty, which people may wonder why not, you know, do something like that's on the death penalty or on immigration or on other economic justice issues. You see this as a, a singular issue in the context of it is unique and apart from those other issues?
0: Yeah, or even racism, you know. Or even uh, racism. Mm. Getting that now, but, uh, I mean, we're horrified when we look back 60, 70 years ago that There was a time when lynchings were acceptable among some parts of the country among some people Uh, that that just horrifying to us but it's the same thing right it's the killing of innocent human life no no, no one would tolerate that nowadays so we i'm trying to see those of us who understand are trying to open the eyes of our people that this is the direct taking of an innocent human life and what we envision or is uh, a society in which that is unacceptable, and no one would ever dream of doing it.
1: Well, uh, well, Nancy Pelosi has said that she's a devout Catholic, and it, it is her faith is important to her, an important part of her life. How, how do you, um, how do you see that statement where she says she's a devout Catholic and she's an open supporter of um, abortion rights? How does that play in, in your assessment of her faith? Is she still Catholic?
0: I cannot judge her conscience. I cannot judge her faith uh, for my interactions with her. I think she's sincere when she says that. I think her faith really is important to her. It really is important to her to be Catholic. And she feels devotion in her heart, uh, I, which makes me perplexed at why she would be so forceful on this issue. As a politician, you know, it's very tricky as a politician. there's so many issues to balance out and trying to come to some kind of consensus and compromise and all that. But to be so aggress- aggressively promoting it, and uh, uh, it's just that's not what a devout Catholic does. So I believe in her heart she feels that way. But there is a disconnect on this issue.
1: Is that one of the reasons why you started your rose and rosary for Nancy Pelosi, this campaign you started last year for her?
0: Yes, uh, I, uh, I I, want to help her to understand that, that this is unacceptable to kill babies in the womb and the harm so often it does to women. I mean, those of us in pastoral ministry, we encounter women who have gone through this experience and we understand how so often they feel alone, afraid, abandoned. They know when they can talk to about it and they really need support and love. To help make a, a happy decision, a decision for life. So the Rose and Rosary campaign was to, to help sensitize. She has, it seems to me she has a very maternal heart. She loves speaking about her, her five children, right? Uh, so to sensitize her to that. And also to convey that uh, I know people will accuse me of being political, but this is not political law, it's it's pastoral.
1: So so that
0: I'm is not- candidate or against any candidate. It's a pastoral action.
1: So this is where, but one of the things that she has to do, she has to publicly repudiate her support for abortion rights. And some would see how could she do that? And it not be seen as political, like the very action she has to do to come back, to be able to come back to receive the Eucharist requires her to make a public repudiation of her support for abortion rights.
0: I'm very saddened at how this has polarized the country. Of course, we know abortion can never be justified because it's the direct taking of an innocent human life. However, there are ways we can come to a consensus on how the law can work under the present circumstances. Because our our vision is not making abortion illegal. That would would be a big help toward right. the end. It's to make abortion unthinkable. But if I often say that the problem is not that women have choice. Too many women don't have choice. Their only choice is abortion. Mm -hmm. So the answer is, well, what Texas did, right? The Alternatives to Abortion Program, provide women with the resources they need to be able to give birth to her, her child. And then there are other options. She can raise the child herself. She can put the child up for adoption. There's also the old fashioned solution of marriage, which is not to be always excluded. Sometimes the man does take responsibility, but we need to provide her all, all of this support. And and if if she's in a situation where um, it's, let's say a college student, you know, a college okay. student should be supported support so she can carry the child to term and continue her education. And then if she chooses to put the child up for adoption, be supported in that. If she wants to raise the child herself, then be provided the support she needs. I don't know. Do colleges have uh, yeah. diaper changing students, for example?
1: Well, there are many groups trying to work uh, to get colleges to be more hospitable to pregnant and parenting students. So, But that does make me want to ask the question, what, what policy do you have in your own archdiocese for, for you know, your own employees that may get pregnant? And what are the policies like? That do you have maternity leave policies?
0: Oh yeah, we have family leave policy for um, for parenting um, uh, employees. Yeah, okay. we have a generous family policy.
1: So you mentioned that this decision was a pastoral one, not a political one. And we know it still is going to be interpreted by many people as a political one. Um, What would you say, though, to people who treat this public instruction for Pelosi to refrain from communion as, you know, a victory? Like, yes, finally, a victory to be celebrated and see it as the church exercising its power in the temporal order in a way that makes them celebrate. What would you say to them?
0: I know there will probably be some people uh, thinking that, but it's, it's a sad moment, really. And I would just encourage them to see this in a bigger light. It's, it's sad that this kind of action would have to be taken, and we need to resort to more prayer and fasting.
1: We'll be right back.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
1: how do you think your brother bishops are going to receive this notification, this public statement?
0: I suppose there will be a variety of opinions, but I think as bishops, we respect each other's decisions in matters like this. Each bishop has to decide in accordance with his conscience and these and other types of situations as well. And they're usually very complex. There are a number of different values and priorities to weigh, um, and taking an action or not taking an action. What good will it do? What evil will it avoid? What might be the side effects? Uh, All these things have to be weighed. And uh, we can come to different prudential judgments, again, using our conscience. The conscience is not to decide what's right and wrong. We all agree on what's right and wrong. That's not in question. The question is how pastorally to respond to these complex situations. And uh, I think we all pretty much respect each other in, in making our decisions because we're all struggling to form our conscience as well and, and discern the right thing to do.
1: So you're not saying that they all have to necessarily follow your path? Because, of course, people are going to say, well, what other Catholic politicians uh, perhaps are making uh, the same kind of statements as Nancy Pelosi and, of course, President Biden comes to mind? And has Card- have you spoken with Cardinal Gregory at all about this?
0: I've had conversations with them about the issue, Okay, yes.
1: okay. so you've already spoken. Are any other bishops, uh, you're like the first bishop that I can think of to make a statement like this, other than uh, in most recent memory, I'm thinking of Archbishop Brummel of New Orleans, who actually went a step further and excommunicated people for interfering in his um, authority as a bishop in New Orleans to desegregate. Um, why not excommunication here?
0: Well, first of all, I'm actually not the first bishop to do this. Um, oh. I, re- I was a new bishop back in early 2000s, when uh, then, then Bishop Burke of La Crosse, right before he moved to St. Louis, um, issued such a notification with regard to Catholic legislators in his diocese. Also, the then Father Van, who's now Bishop Van of Orange, he was the pastor in a parish in Springfield, Illinois. Uh, that was the parish of Dick Durbin, who s- spoke with him and advised him he should not be receiving communion. The bishop of the diocese at that time, uh, then Bishop Lucas, now Archbishop Lucas of Omaha, backed him up. The current bishop there, uh, Bishop uh, Tom Paprocki, has reaffirmed that. Uh, also, our Archbishop Joseph Nauman of uh, Kansas City in Kansas uh, took this action with regard to Kathleen Sibelius, who was the governor of of Kansas at the time, so uh, other bishops have taken this action, uh, but we um, <laughs> excommunication is um, has a whole other set of circumstances of of considerations. Uh, it's it's more severe. I I don't want to take a more severe tack if I don't have to. I'd rather do what's the minimum I need to do in order to um, repair the scandal.
1: So let's make sure everybody understands she can attend mass. She just may not present herself to receive the Eucharist until she repudiates her public support and receives the sacrament of reconciliation. Yes. Is there any, was there any other option for her? Any other way she could uh, correct this and, and be able to come back to the Eucharist?
0: I used to have pastoral letter a year ago on this topic about, um, uh, proper disposition to receive Holy Communion, cooperation and evil, and specifically on the, the abortion question. Um, it's Catholic 101 that we're supposed to be free of any serious sin in order to be properly disposed to receive Holy Communion. If we are guilty of serious sin, we have the great grace of the sacrament of, of penance, so we can go to confession, avail ourselves of that sacrament, receive God's forgiveness in the sacrament to be restored to a right disposition. That involves uh, contrition, right? A, a firm purpose of amendment that we repent of the wrong that we've done and are sincere in avoiding that in the future. Uh, so cooperation, it, it's not just one who performs an abortion or is an accomplice to it, but the uh promote actively promoting it is a cooperation in the evil that puts one in that uh, situation so again as uh it would have to involve uh, repentance right repenting of this evil but also politicians as i was saying earlier they have to find ways where they can come to some kind of compromise or better yet consensus on policies that everyone can live with. And I do believe there are ways to do that. And uh, I think uh, uh, then Cardinal Rotzinger also spoke about this in, in a, a document on Catholics and political life that um, a politician can vote for a piece of legislation that would keep abortion legal uh, if it has the effect of of reducing it. Um, and that would not be, um, implicate them in a cooperation with the evil. So, for example, a parental notification law, just as an example, I that mm-hmm. keeps, keeps abortion legal. The minor girl can have the abortion, but the parents have to be notified or the parents consent. There is have to give consent. That's an example of uh, a piece of legislation that a politician can vote for uh, that does not implicate them in the evil of the abortion.
1: So help us understand, I know um, people often bring up Canon 915, uh, and one of the things that is to note about Canon 915 is that's in the section on sacraments. It's not in the penal section of canon Correct. law. Why Why are you referencing that section instead of the penal section when many people are going to see this as um, more of a punishment? So why reference the sec- this section instead of the actual penal section?
0: underscore that this is not a canonical penalty. It's um, uh, a declaration of of what the situation is in in accordance with the protecting the integrity of the sacrament.
1: I mean, you you quote Pope Francis quite a bit in um, your public statement um, that our defense of the unborn, he says, must be clear, firm, and passionate. And the Pope has also said that the Eucharist is not a prize for the perfect, but is Nourishment for the weak. How does that come to play in this decision to tell Nancy Pelosi, you know, until you don't come to communion? How does this? How do you balance that, or how do you? How does this figure into this decision?
0: Well, uh, what Pope Francis says there doesn't negate the, what I refer to as Catholic 101 about proper disposition to receive Holy Communion. It does acknowledge that we are, in a sense, we are all unworthy right and we are weak we have a weakened human nature and when we're properly disposed to receive holy communion we uh can avail ourselves of the grace the sacrament gives us to grow stronger it's kind of like exercising the spiritual muscle but uh, the um the idea that uh we're in a sense we're all unworthy we we pray that every time we have mass right as catholics right before receiving communion we use the words of the roman centurion when uh, our lord offered to go to his his house he said lord i am not worthy to receive you and other rites of the church have the same thing a confession of unworthiness so there is this sense in which we're all unworthy uh, and that that's doesn't contradict the idea of also being properly disposed
1: so what do you think that this telegraphs to so many other Catholics who may have the same attitude, disposition and beliefs around abortion rights as Nancy Pelosi?
0: I hope it will um, have the effect of a clearly teaching on on the issue. Uh, I would imagine some people are going to see this as being very heavy handed and I'm kind of being an ogre here, but um. I've been I, I do not want I really would prefer not to do this but I cannot in my conscience allow the situation to continue and cause this scandal and uh, people are are getting confused people are getting upset and it's also fueling these flames of polarization and dissension. Uh, some people might accuse me of doing that as well, but uh, I, I just know in my conscience I have to do something to teach clearly about this evil and that there are uh, solutions to this dilemma that we're in.
1: You think that this singles out uh, Nancy Pelosi in a position uh Does that square with, you think, what Pope Francis has talked about, the Catholics must recognize the equally sacred, however, the lives of the poor, those already born, the destitute, the abandoned, and the underprivileged, and so on? Do you feel like this singles her out and singles out abortion in a way that's apart from what Pope Francis has said?
0: Not apart from what Pope Francis has said. It singles out abortion as the issue. I mean, I admire Speaker Pelosi for her advocacy for the poor. I mean, we're all, we're all together on that. Um, but I was speaking earlier about how abortion is, is different because it involves the direct taking of an innocent. Well, if we think about since the Roe decision 50 years ago, it's over 60 million babies murdered in their mother's wombs. I mean, can we really grasp the depth of that evil? 60 million babies murdered in their mother's wombs. This is something apart. These other issues are very serious. Some are evils we're dealing with there, but this just sets it apart.
1: So then, you know, I hear that and I keep thinking, and you say you don't want to excommunicate, but then maybe help people understand what is the difference here between what this is versus an excommunication.
0: An excommunication involves, uh, it's really, it intends more people who have an office in the church because it, it's a deprivation of uh, other kind of rights and privileges of exercising jurisdiction, having any role in a liturgical service of um, uh, titles and honors and things like that. So it's it would be more, I mean, it's, yeah, it couldn't be anyone who's Catholic, but um, kind of the, the deprivations that an excommunication involves Affects more people have some kind of an office or position in the church.
1: So as it is now, she can attend mass. She cannot receive the Eucharist. If she were to die tomorrow, she could still be, have a Catholic funeral mass. Yes. She could. Okay. I think as I think about this, when I, the Eucharist is a source and summit of our faith and being told that you need to, um, Repudiate what you've said publicly, and you need to come to the sacrament of confession. How did how do you know when she's done this? Obviously, we all know she publicly repudiates, but in terms of the sacrament of reconciliation, are,
0: well, she, uh, uh, it, can she come either, to go to
1: any priest, or is it that she needs to come to you to confess?
0: Well, she could go to any priest. I would presume that she makes a public repudiation. I would presume that she will have done that.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. I'm not going to go okay. checking around. You know, it's, <laughs>
1: There's been, you know, I think about the history of this country and a lot of fear uh, of Catholics actually being ruled by Rome in terms of politicians and things like that. How would you, for people who maybe don't understand the faith, how would you help them see that this isn't that um, the pope or bishop is actually ruling or making political decisions in place of their elected politicians?
0: This really, well, there are many great human rights issues of our time, but abortion is really paramount. So we can compare it to other periods of history and what the great human rights issue was, whether it was slavery in the mid-19th century or civil rights in the mid-20th century. They were faith leaders who led those efforts. You know, it was faith leaders, well, of course, Dr. Martin Luther King, but uh, other leaders of faith who joined with him to advocate, for uh, civil rights in the Jim Crow South. Were they being political? Were they delving too much into politics? or they just stayed in their churches? Or were they uh, living out their faith and advocating for what is just and true for people who are being oppressed? Isn't that part of our role as faith leaders?
1: Well, I think that's one of the things that people would like us to not think that we have a role in the public square when we're motivated by our faith. But yeah, the civil rights movement had very much a Christian ethos. There's no doubt about that. Um, if, if you study the movement, you study the writings of Dr. King. I think um, perhaps in this country, the notion of participation in the public square may be too narrow. And people will say things like separation of church and state, I'm thinking that means that people who are of faith are not to act on their faith in a public square. And I imagine that you and I both, and many, many other Catholics, including our church would say that's an incorrect understanding.
0: We need to make a distinction between basic values of what's right and wrong and what is a faith specific doctrine, right? So to say thou shall not steal is a universal principle. And we have laws that punish people who steal, right? And thou shall not lie. Um, so, these are basic rules of right and wrong. Uh, that's not imposing our religion on others. Imposing our religion on others would be something like requiring people to attend church on Sunday, right? That's a religious doctrine or to hold certain beliefs. So, I, I want to be clear uh, about that.
1: Um, you know, when you talked about abortion, you talked about ministering to women, you talked about the horror of abortion. Could you? Can you you talk a little bit about that? Like what has been your experience in dealing with women who maybe were considering abortion or have had abortions? Maybe some have come and confessed to you. Can you share a little bit about that?
0: I'm very proud of my own church that offers these uh, healing experiences for women and for men as well. Often men are scarred by the experience. So we have um, the um, Project Rachel, that helps to uh, heal people uh, who have this experience, and and to help uh, help provide resources for pe- uh, women who are in crisis uh, pregnancies. Uh, I've heard women say, I, "This is why I say the problem is they don't have choice." I've heard women say that I didn't want to go through with it, but I felt like I had no choice. And I hear after they go through with it, they're they can't talk about it. You know, they're shamed into the silence. They're not supposed to feel guilty about it. So then this. Sense of isolation then begins to worsen. Uh, so the need for these sort of healing experiences. Uh, I've known of women who turn it into something positive. They become pro-life advocates, and they're with their experience, they can be very compelling witnesses to uh, the sanctity of life. Uh, I've heard from women who had kind of were changing their mind when they were being led into the clinic, and they were lied to. You know, it's just a so, clump of cells.
1: So in your formation um, in seminary and um, preparing you for becoming a priest, did they talk about these kinds of things, how to minister to women in these situations? Or was it just something once you were ordained in, in, beca- in being a priest that you had these encounters? I mean, I'm, I'm just wondering what kind of um, experience and encounters you've had, in addition to understanding the teachings of the church that have solving your heart to see this as really something that's damaging to women?
0: Uh, well, I was ordained a priest in 1982, so I was in the seminary in the mid to late 70s, early 80s, and this was just emerging, right? And so there, I don't think seminaries had really begin, begun to thought think through how to minister to women in that situation. But in the first parish that I was assigned to, there was an abortion clinic in, in the parish, so I would join with parishioners who would gather in front of there to pray on Saturdays um, because to me, it's always been obvious that's a little baby inside of the mother. And uh, a little later on, when I got to know more people involved in in, in pro-life advocacy and women who have gone through the experience, I be- began to understand more how it affects the mother. And later on, when I worked with people who are trying to... Um, Bringing uh, people affected in these healing experience, how much it affects others in her network of relationships. It's not just the mother, of the child who's affected. It's you know her parents, her siblings, her other children. Sometimes the father uh, of the child, if he you, you know wants the child to be born. Uh, so mm-hmm. her friends. So there's this whole network of relationships that's affected by it. So the more I've been uh, kind of involved in advocating for life and getting to know others uh, mm-hmm. who do this the more my eyes have been opened to the wider reality of this.
1: And so it seems like to me, you've come over time to, um, through experience, come to maybe even more fully understand what the Holy Father's talked about, the interconnectedness of the issue of the matter. You see how it affects more than just the child in the womb and the woman, how it affects the whole community. And I'm trying to think, is there any other issue that has that kind of interconnectedness or maybe any other issue or situation where you think you would have to make, or you think you would make this kind of decision that someone, until they repudiate what they've said publicly and done publicly, needs to not present themselves for communion?
0: Um, it'd be hard for me to say at this point.
1: So if people want to, um, well, are you still having your uh, rose and rosary for Nancy campaign, given that this, now that this public statement, are are we, are you still doing that?
0: We're still doing that. Uh, We'll send rosaries now. Uh, People can sign up for that at uh, benedictinstitute.org if they want to participate and um, we'll send her uh, a rosary.
1: So you still have a lot of hope, you still have a lot of hope for Nancy Pelosi to come to, to repudiate this. You still have a lot of hope there,
0: as I said. I can't judge her conscience, but I do believe she's sincere when she says she's devout and she speaks so fondly of her five children. I have to believe there's hope, yes.
1: And, and you've said that when you've interacted with her, it's been pleasant, you've had um, she's been a pleasant uh, person you've interacted with. So, to me, that says there has to be a way that we can constructively dialogue on these issues, especially within the church. Do you have any tips on how we might be able to do that?
0: Try not to judge others. Uh, Try to have a human interaction. uh, To try to see the other as a a fellow brother or sister in, in our human family and get to know them personally, it, it helps to put things in a different perspective. Uh, I am grateful to the speaker who's always been respectful to me uh, in public and in private. Uh, so I think that's a good example of how we can talk about these issues um, without being so divisive, but we do need to talk. And this, to be frank, it has been a frustration that I been, haven't been able to, to speak with her
1: is there anything you haven't said that you'd like to say now before we wrap the interview? Is there anything you want to say directly to Nancy Pelosi, maybe even?
0: Well, what I've said before, um, she has a wonderful maternal heart and uh, I she's a great advocate for the poor. Women in these crisis pregnancy situations need a lot of advocacy. So to see that and, uh, and we await her with her with uh, open arms.
1: I don't I don't sense a lot of animosity here from you toward her at all. And I'm, you know, I that's one thing I'm very much taking taken away from this. You don't have any animosity toward her. You seem very um, hopeful that she will um, co- respond positively, affirmatively to this. I, I imagine you see this as an invitation to her, not a, not a punishment. That she respond in that way, and I think it could be difficult with all the outer, all the outer voices, all the other voices in our society. You know, going to weigh on on this and going to position it as something negative and punitive. Do you still have open channels to her to be able to talk to you privately if she chooses to?
0: I've let her know I'm ready and willing to speak, if ever, whenever, wherever, and however she wishes the channels of communication are still open. And no, I don't have animosity. It's something I really would rather not do. And I know I'm going to be judged harshly. I know I'm going to be accused of being punitive, of being political. That's all false. But my conscience won't allow me to refrain from doing this. I I cannot be at peace of conscience without doing so.
1: One last thing, since you've mentioned your conscience, you've made some clarifications about conscience. I know they are going to pe- be people asking, but what about Nancy Pelosi's conscience? How would you respond to that?
0: Well, on this issue, she needs to better form her conscience.
1: And you're willing to help her do that?
0: I mean, we don't say that with other issues, right? We didn't say that in, with slavery. What about in my conscience, It's it's legitimate to own slaves? Do we allow that to continue? What if in my conscience is separate but equal is a good thing? Do we allow that to continue? We don't do that with other issues that are objectively wrong. So instead, we need to help people open people's eyes to the evil. We would never go back to allowing Jim Crow laws now because we realize how evil it is. A lot of people back then didn't.
1: And so you're willing to help her in that regard or at least try to by what you're doing here to get her attention and let her see that it's grave matter, that this is what we understand and believe as Catholics and come back. Is that what your whole intention is here?
0: And, And there are, as I said before, there are political solutions or policy, I should say, policy solutions to the dilemma that we're in.
1: Thank you, Archbishop Cordelione, so much for joining us on the Gloria Purvis podcast and America Media.
0: You're welcome. Thank you again for having me.
1: I'm so glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and sometimes challenging conversations. For more on this story regarding Archbishop Portolini's statement, visit americamagazine.org. And please share this episode with a friend or family member. Be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. Leave us a review if you can. I would love to hear from you. And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis podcast is a production of America Media. This episode is produced by Sebastian Gomes and Maggie Van Dorn and engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.